Hey everyone, this is Chris. You're listening to the Dead Regime Podcast. I've got Joel here and we're going to be joined very soon by our guest for this episode. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to address a question. Someone, uh, a new listener, asked me the other day, Chris, you should do some ads and have sponsors. And I said to them that um, that would be great if we had sponsors and we could do ads. Uh, anyone who listens to Sam Harris's podcast knows that he does this whole five-minute monologue at the beginning where he talks about why he doesn't do ads and it's uh, very ethical and and meaningful and we really don't care. If someone wants to sponsor us, please get in contact with us, deadregime at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up through uh, any of the social media outlets. We're pretty much on most of them. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. We've had to split it into two, so this is part one. Part two will be out later this week. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, here we go. Joel, how you going? Uh, I'm very well. And we've got a special guest, Rob Prophet-White. Welcome, Rob. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, now, Rob, you are our second guest on the Dad Regime podcast, but you're not my first podcast guest, because I don't know if you remember, way back, I think it was 2012, Okay. we sat in the back of my classroom and we actually recorded a mathematics um audio recording that went up on the, the school website then apparently it's still available i can't remember that and oh. we talked about we talked about numeracy uh we talked about how teaching had changed um and what parents should be expecting from numeracy education you'll be glad to know that in those seven years we're still talking about numeracy how the teachings changed and what parents can expect from from numeracy education yeah it would have been actually quite interesting to listen to that before yeah. <laughs> or even after to make sure I don't contradict myself uh, yeah so we um, I should be able to find that because I'm sure I've got it somewhere it would be good to listen to uh, but Rob we've got you in because I know you've got some things that you want to talk about I thought a good place to start would be <laughs> would be uh, where education is changing and why and perhaps the uh, 21st century six C's might be the key starting point I think what all countries are trying to do now for their students whether they're secondary or primary is just to make them more aware and to value that there's other elements they can be successful with apart from just the traditional content we've got to be careful that we don't water down the content of course it's important but I think we're fully aware now that each kid's individual and the 21st century skills are certainly something that all our students need to be aware of and as a parent I think parents need to be aware of that if we can understand what these are you might find that your child who may not have been quite interested in school or feels a bit anxious about school knowing what these are could be a way in to help them you know, be a bit more motivated, a bit more engaged. So a push around the world now for these 21st century skills seems to be one element that I think all parents and students need to be, yeah, 
aware of what mm. they are and hopefully in the next bit of talk we can sort of delve into those into what they are do you want to outline what they are well yeah i mean the different countries come up with different ones but generally the ones you need to be familiar of is the area of critical and creative thinking now critical and creative thinking that's how the kids use their content so you want kids even in early years to be able to problem solve, make decisions, reason, reflect on what they're doing, evaluate what they're doing, and then be a bit more creative from a maths point of view, if we're looking at maths today as well, is being a bit more creative in how they solve problems, you know, how they do calculations. I'm sure we'll talk about calculations during this morning, because I know most parents want to know about calculations and times tables but there's elements of creativity in there about how they build patterns and relationships with numbers and those two elements critical and creative thinking seem to be things to make kids find maths and numeracy a bit more accessible other than that you've got communication getting them to talk you've got ict skills and the one that's probably the hardest to teach is their personal and social skills, you know, their group management, their self-esteem, their self-efficacy. And at the moment, it's very topical in all education systems around the world. How can we help boost kids' perseverance, resilience, minimise anxiety? Mm. And again, hopefully today we can you know, talk about things that seem to be working, because mm. I know there'll be parents or our audience who'd be interested to know a bit about that. One of the challenges of being a teacher in a modern classroom is that every parent has an experience of education. They do. Which means that everyone has gone through an education process. Most people tend to think that what they experienced is what should be experienced by their kids. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's, that is actually classed as one of the biggest barriers to move for parents because every parent wants their child to do well and every parent sets out to do what they think is best. Now, you know, I myself, my memories of maths at school were very traditional, you know. I don't remember actually being taught much. I remember even when I was in year three, there were these plastic wallets around the perimeter of the room like addition, subtraction, measurement, and I remember vivid memories of just walking to the front, collecting an addition card, coming back to my desk, writing the word addition, doing 20 questions, going to the box to get a coloured pencil, marking it myself, lining up, spending 10, 20 minutes wasting time, you know, <laughs> queuing up to be marked. The teacher would then just you know, put a big tick, I sit back down, go to the next card, which is number two, and there's 20 more addition. And then you work your way around the year doing everything in isolation. Now, I could say, well, that's got me to where I am, you know, a state advisor for maths now. But it wasn't that. It was <laughs> that probably didn't get me where I was today. And I know fully well that some of my friends who went through that system aren't successful. They hate maths. It's boring. It's so we've got to remember that as a parent, if we enjoyed maths, and sometimes it's hard if you're a parent who's quite successful at maths you will then assume that traditional way is always the best yeah. and it can be but it might not work for your your kid mm. and so i think yeah how we used to do it has still got advantages there's still a traditional sense involved because maths you need to be focusing on getting things right and being accurate but and it's a big but parents need to be aware of there's many journeys to get to that destination and we need to discover for your kids you know 
how are they going to actually cope with how they learn the maths and value yeah. it, use it, see, yeah. see it? So in answer to that question, yeah, how we used to do it has elements, but we need to hopefully talk about how we can involve these 21st century skills to make maths a bit more accessible and enjoyable for mm. our kids. So what, what has changed? I think what's changed for me is, the, is um, even in the 10, 15 years I've been in Queensland, is it's what universities are look, look, looking for. It's what job people are looking for. And it's not just to be good at maths, let's face it, to be good at maths. If I say the word maths to students at uni, we still think about our sums. And arithmetic is part yeah. of maths. Like spelling is part of reading. But there's still quite a bit more around it. So I think we need to make sure that we just go beyond that arithmetic because you want your kids to be able to problem solve to discuss to defend to justify to get them actually actively participating i think the biggest worry for parents is most kids even by grade three can say to their mums or dads oh i don't like maths i mean you discover why it's often they find it very isolated very disciplined very uncreative mm. or they're so used to doing basic stuff that the teachers made them do something slightly different or slightly correct, <laughs> you know, like dissolve and defend, that the kid's gone home. I don't like maths anymore because I'm being asked how to explain it. Mm. And so you've got this balance, this seesaw of giving and, your and that kid... that can even be for, for students who are good at arithmetic. That can be for students who are good. Because I'm, that student is so used to following a procedure and getting it right that then being told that there might be other ways to solve it that are just as valid or having to defend why they know can be just as challenging for the good arithmetic student as a poor arithmetic student. You're right. End of the day, I mean, arithmetic is you want your kids to be able to solve problems, mm. you know, basic number sense problems. And yeah, of course, there's going to be technology for them. But there's a lot of estimation and a lot of number sense. And one thing you found quite interesting is as a parent... The, often, if you take a group of adults, the maths that they can do, they just call common sense. The maths that they can't do, they just call, oh, that must be maths then. And we ourselves have a lot of responsibility. We can perpetuate problems, you know, inadvertently because we don't recognise the day-to-day -day maths that we use, which is financial stuff and yeah. general spatial stuff and estimation. And as a parent, we need to tell kids that that is maths. Yeah. Because... You're right. When I think of maths, I would say today I've survived without using calculus and trigonometry. And that's what parents think. Oh, well, I didn't use trigonometry or calculus or why are they doing this? Well, let's move beyond that mm. and look at the maths you are still mm. using when you're going shopping, when you're doing your financial plans, your, your unit plans, your phone, your budgeting, you know, DIY, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. That's what we've got to say to kids. And it seems to be much easier for parents to uh, grasp the idea that literacy and English are actually separate things, that the skills in literacy uh, are used in the subject of English, but they, there are, they are separate. It seems to be much harder for people to understand the differences between numeracy and mathematics. Yeah, I mean, generally, math is always seen as quite abstract, you know, full of conjectures, full of proofs, quite nerdy, you yeah. know, and... And in a way, it sort of blocks the outside world. 
And a lot of people can think, I'll never be need maths because I just don't associate. And that's fair enough, because that high level applied maths is still what we see on the news. Yeah. Only recently, I remember somebody had found, you know, was it a prime number to a trillion places or something? And it's like, that's on the news, but that doesn't help this image of no. like parents going, see, I told you, when will we ever need that? And I must admit, we, but day to day, we need to make sure that kids see that numeracy is actually that ability just to quickly round up numbers, quickly add, quickly subtract, which is arithmetic based. And unis now are wanting kids to have those skills. They don't want them to rely on just using a calculator. And what you said before, how is it changing? Well, it's changing because non-calculator papers are now becoming more frequent in all countries because mm. we've said our kids are arriving not actually knowing how to manipulate numbers, which is what maths is about, manipulating the numbers that you know the idea of quantity, looking at the patterns and relationships between numbers. Mm. A lot of kids have lost that, mm. and that's why they have this fear and phobia. They either stick to doing safe stuff on apps and games, which can drive that anxiety even deeper, or they will just avoid involving themselves with complicated numbers or mm. fractions or decimals. But we've got to, as a parent, say to them, look, guys, you know, life is full, full of all these. There's not a job now without a graphic or a chart that will have some percentage, decimal, no visual representation, like a quarter of a pie chart. Kids should know that's 25% or a quarter. It's everywhere with a growing reliance now on keep fit and you know technology for that which is everywhere a grasp of basic addition subtraction you know 20 percent 50 percent 75 percent we need to make sure kids have that mm. and aren't scared of it mm. Mm. um as a, the apps and games i'm gonna go back to the, the 21st century skills which uh, lends itself to the idea of using technology mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i see a lot <clears throat> I see a lot of classrooms using apps and games uh, as a means for teaching numeracy. But I'll, I'll save my thought for after. Sure. <laughs> for okay. After, so I don't. So it doesn't appear I'm preempting uh, your opinion. What's your thoughts on apps and games as a vehicle for teaching numeracy? Well, first and foremost, to engage kids. Making maths engaging is critical to hook them in. And I would advocate you know, to teachers playing some kind of games, whether they're just pen and paper games or using apps and things, does encourage kids. When they can go online and have in the early years, you know, the nice fun graphics, collecting stickers and charts and ladders and things for solving basic number facts, great. It gets them involved with those sorts of things. And the software design these days is great. No, it's it's visual, it's stimulating. Absolutely. And then we need to, I suppose, balance that, though, with there's more than just that superficial side to maths. You know, again, you can get apps on spelling, but mastering spelling does not necessarily mean they're a great writer. Yeah. And parents understand that, but there's still a la- lack of sometimes national understanding that... You know, arithmetic is not just maths. There's mm. a lot more to it than that. Mm. So these apps and games, I think they're part. It's like nutrition, you know. It's that boring, <laughs> everything in moderation. 
Yeah. And people don't like that. They like to buy or have one view or the other. But sadly, I would say that a well-balanced ba- no, well diet for maths would include a portion of apps and games to keep them. And yeah. as a parent, I would make sure that the kids aren't just guessing and checking. Because yeah. I've got kids myself, and when I first had these... Kids, no, they just hit, keep hitting an answer, yeah. tap, 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 until that smiley face yeah. appears. And then after an hour, they could run off and show someone, I got 100 yeah. out of 100. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Because as a parent, we often don't sit with the kids. No. We'll just, off they go, they'll come back, they do this. And a lot of the apps don't go behind the scenes. It's just, if they can get the answer, no matter how many attempts they get, we will give them a happy sticker. So it's just making sure that those apps maybe sit with the kid and see what they do. Because if a kid in year three is doing, I don't know, eight plus five, and they're using fingers still, yeah, it's great they get a smiley face with a thumbs up, but that strategy is not particularly critical thinking that is going to slow them down and probably give them fear and anxiety so as a parent we need to see it's not the answer it's their destination to the answer that we need to be aware of because that's why parents can often say to me oh my kid does well on these apps but they're only a C and I say look because you're only giving them a very low level thing as a teacher or a school, we need to make sure your kids can use and apply. If they can't apply, there's not many job opportunities in the 21st century, or it's going to be a job, but as a parent, you, want, you, you won't want your kid in that job. <laughs> you know, so we got to make sure that they know what to do with this knowledge. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You got anything you want to chip in? Just taking notes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was like. You're taking notes, so you might have something you want to... No, no, I... I just like some of the phrases that's that's a good one it's not the answer it's the destination to the answer and you know my personal experience I was one of those I hate math kids um, very disengaged and I realised as a teacher the kids that were good at maths and we're talking probably the older yeah. style of maths were the kids that had instant recall the kids that didn't question formulas if you said to divide you follow this process they didn't ask why, they didn't care why. They just went, there's the process, I follow it, I get the answer because I've also got my recall on multiplication and division and they just found it easy. I was constantly trying to understand and that was my big problem. In the system that I went through, understanding would actually set you back. The teacher would look at you and go, there's nothing to understand, just do what I told you to do. Just follow the process. <clears throat> and yeah, it wasn't actually until you came to a school that I was at and I started seeing some of the uh, things that you were trying to teach the teachers, the students and the parents. And every, every bit of it just made me go, yes, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so there, there, there has been a big shift. And I can, from personal experience, can actually look at the shift and, uh, and it makes total sense. And it also makes sense to what you were saying, some of the naturally gifted uh, or people who are naturally geared for maths they're not necessarily going to do well in the future because they need to understand. They need to be able to demonstrate understanding. And so, they, you know, I think it's a playing field where everyone can actually come to the party, this new way of looking at it. No, I would agree. I think, it's, yeah. I mean, some kids, as you said, will naturally have that maths intuition and they will go. But every kid has the potential to be maths, no, 
have that maths intuition. And I think one fallacy is it's like, oh, I wasn't good at maths, so therefore my kids go. So we know like people like Joe Bowler and a few others, they will try and smash that rhetoric because that is one of the things that we hear quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's almost given permission for the kid. Oh, well, my mum says that I wasn't good at maths, so she doesn't need it, so I don't yeah. need it. That one statement destroys, you know, a year of education. Yeah. So as a parent, we need to be... I know, accountable for what we say, how we react around numbers and things. And I think that is really, really critical. But the good news is you don't have to be good at maths yourself to help with your kid. And that's another thing that some parents think of. Yes, because it's almost a dismiss, uh, dismissing mathematics as a potential pathway because the parent wasn't good at math. Yes. <laughs> so for those parents who believe they're not good at math, how do you suggest they help their children? Well... I sometimes find that if, if, you, if I take my role as well, I mean, people often assume, you know, that I'm excellent at maths, but I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. I was t- going, I have vivid memories of going out to the special education thing to have help with fractions. I remember Same. making myself <laughs> purposely sick in year two and three so I could go home or not do maths. I was scraping a C up to year 10 and I ditched maths in year 10. I hated it because it never made sense. And yet... 20, 30 years later, I'm, you know, advising maths across you know, the state. It's like, but it's not so much the maths. It's so much, you know, I think that's an injustice of the word maths. I, I'm more like getting kids to engage with and seeing maths for what it actually is. It's mm. more the problem solving, the critical creative thinking, the manipulating numbers. And I know that once all kids, even the gifted kids, once they see more evidence of the patterns and relationships and defending and justifying, that strengthens their own skills even further. Because again, some parents think, well, my kids are great at number, they don't need to do defending and justifying. But as um, Joel said, yes, they know they do, because they really need to be able to focus on these critical skills. Because year 12, we assess it. Yeah. Universities want it. Yeah. You know, and so it's not a case of, oh, I don't think my kid should. These kids have to value it. And that's why a lot of schools today are starting to get kids, not all the time, just be aware of, look, you got the answer, great, but can you tell me how you got it? Because Mm -hmm. as a teacher, I need to know that your process is actually effective and it's not misinterpreting things because a lot of kids can get the right answer for the wrong reason. And as a teacher, I need to know how your kid, as a parent, you should be really happy that your teacher is probing the understanding of your kid by asking them different questions. Yes, every kid can draw half if I give them a lovely equilateral triangle. Can you show a half on this, you know? And what we tend to do is draw a line down the middle. So that takes the thinking away from it. And the kid just colours in half, gets a tick. Now, that, that does not mean... They know what a half is. They're just following a procedure that's so scaffolded, they don't even have to think. Mm. What I would do is I'd give them like, you know, a square cut into four and say, can you shade in half of this? Now, if, if, a, if a kid can shade in two of, those, two of those quarters to make a half, they have conceptual understanding. They're not very likely to ever forget that. Mm. But a lot of kids won't. They'll say, I can't do that. Because they'll colour in one, they'll, they'll colour in one. Because usually, if I colour in one, when the teacher says half, I get tick. I sit down, I get a smiley face. So we have to 
make sure your kids and that's why some kids can come home in the early years a bit upset because their fragile confidence has been pushed but it's because the teacher's doing what's right mm. and if we identify a kid's got false confidence that false confidence later on in school can come back and cause major issues more of a headache as a as a parent with a year six or seven kid who hates numbers and refuses to do it believe me i'd rather suffer a one or two tantrums in year two with a kid saying why do i have to do this sort that out then wait till year seven and have a teenager who just says i hate school can't do it whenever i see a number i'll switch off mind you sometimes <laughs> those students are easier to deal with than the a math student who doesn't understand why they have to justify a reason absolutely they they but again, it's about valuing because we know if it's important to us and we value it, it'll be done. Mm. And I think a lot of the time when I interview kids, yeah, no, I'm not saying all, but a lot of the time the kids will actually quote back what their mums and dads have said. <laughs> it's not what the teacher has said. Oh, well, my dad said that we don't need to do that because he didn't. And yeah, it's not exactly helpful. <laughs> but I used to do it because if I went back to my school days I never defended I was never even asked no, to talk no, about I never wrote necessary. words in maths yeah. it was just mm. number churning mm. so therefore I can totally understand with why I would if I wasn't in, if I wasn't in education Chris I would probably be doing exactly the same with my kids yeah. if they're not very good at maths I'll chirp print out some sheets and things and just do this oh, there's no, nothing wrong with that because we know kids in year eight or nine can forget basic procedures and i would say go for it because if they haven't got the basic procedures they'll be scared so there is a but i would like to make sure the message is clear to our listeners that even though that's fine to do that we've got to go beyond that mm. being good at just the procedure does not equate to your kid will be successful at mathematics you know use the knowing the periodic table of course it's going to help with science but knowing the periodic table does not make you a scientist you're not going to walk into a medical degree well i know the periodic table and i've even got a song about about it you know you need to be a bit more than that you know and i think that's what we're trying to get across but um, even yeah and that parent talk could be instead of i was really bad at math so it doesn't matter i found math really difficult I can see that you're finding it really difficult. I'm sure that you'll get there if you keep trying. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the, the, the thing, effort, it's, we need to reward effort. I don't think the political system helps all the time in any country where it's just like, it's A, B, C, D, E all the time for content delivery. Mm. And it does upset a few kids. Yeah, some kids do fine with it. And end of the day, I could take a view. Well, the world keeps turning. So nothing can't... What? No, so why is education? Why are we spending so much money on it? Because every year we get the same kids getting through uni. The jobs get filled. So you can see there's that hidden depth there of... A lot of people think, what is the problem? Yeah. But, there, but we can do better. You know, we can do better than this. I'd settle for... Um, a parent who says, I wasn't good at math. You should be celebrating the fact that we're not teaching math the same way you got taught. Like, that should be a cause for you to celebrate because we are changing the way it's been taught. So that parent should be relieved that their child isn't going to go through the same process instead of fighting back against it because it's what they experience. So that's where, I'd be. That's where my push is always, hey, look, you know, your mechanic today isn't working on a Model T Ford. 
mathematics isn't being taught the same way as you you had it taught so let's celebrate that instead of fighting against it the a to e stuff though is really interesting because it's a it's a been a a big thing in my pedagogy about eliminating as much grading as possible because i don't think most people realize how little difference there is between an a and a c and a c and a d when you really look at things in isolation the, the what a student needs to know to get within those those different bands is not there's not it's not a big difference and so focusing on those grades to me has always eaten away at confidence of not of the a yeah. students the a students have always got the confidence but that student who's struggling to get a c they think they're a long way from getting an A, but they're not. And you're right, they're not, because, I mean, I think we as parents need to know that you know, an A in year three is just year three material. And there is a tension between, you know, certain establishments, let's just say, that sometimes I'm a year three. Well, in this year three school, we give our year three kids a year four textbook. I think, yeah. And parents, oh, that's wonderful, they're a year ahead. No, they're not a year ahead. I could teach Pythagoras' theorem, which is year eight, to a year two. Yeah. Because I'll teach them the procedure and they will get that right. Now, that doesn't mean in any way I should celebrate the fact that that kid is six years ahead and would be on you no know, front line on the Korean Mail as a gifted kid. We have to be very careful. And what you said, the jump from a C to an A isn't you know, out of reach of a lot of kids because the problem-solving, reasoning, things in the C, you just get better at it for A. But mm. the what thing you find what the A and B kids do have more of is more probably a positive role modelling by their parents. Mm -hmm. That's something you can't buy, mm. and that's something that you can do just like that. You don't need to buy any apps for your iPads or anything. Just role modelling. No, praising the effort. Telling them that they're getting better giving them giving them the right help as well that will make a big difference because i find that d kids can jump from c to b quite easily once they've got that inner intrinsic motivation to do it but on the other side a kids can drop from a to d mm. if they suddenly hit a wall or they jump from another subject or they just lose that you know lose that motivation they get disengaged and especially once they leave primary school and they are actually experiencing new content for the first time that does ask them to think deeper than just going through the same procedures over and over again. You do, because when I work with year sevens, I can often get a lot of time when I'm in a year seven classroom and they start doing algebra. Yes, you'll get some kids who just clicks. I get this and off they go. But others, it's a whole new language. It's a whole new world for them. And they... And they feel bad. And mm. sometimes these are A-grade kids who've always had an A. Now they've hit something where they need to think and suddenly you see these poor little minds collapse. They can often bounce back, but it depends the sort of interventions that they hear from home, you know, mm. or, or what they get at school. But a lot of the time is those kids are the ones who are what I call the fragile or the cappuccino A's. The cappuccino A's, they're the ones who've got A's just by drilling, you know, just by doing hard and low-looking sums. They've managed to get through either by, because the assessment's not always up to scratch, or the assessment doesn't actually assess the rigour of the 21st century. They have this idea that they're great. Because I've had battles with, you know, helping teachers in prep. Oh, my kid knows the two times table in prep, so what? 
you know, it doesn't mean they're good at maths. They've just learnt a row of words which are adjectives, so they've learnt a poem. <laughs> One, two, 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 four. doesn't mean they can draw an array or explain to me the relationship between six and three and nine and four and eight. And yet a parent will say, oh, no, they're, no, they're well, well ahead. I looked online and they're already you know, working <laughs> at a grade two level. No, no, they're not working at grade two level, you know. In rare exam- circumstances, they might be, but that's, I've not come across many. No, but then that, 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 I had that thought before as well, where we're talking about gifted students. How many legitimately gifted math students do you see? Not many. But I think even if I take the UK, there was a time in the UK a few years ago where 30% of kids <laughs> had to be classed as gifted and talented as a political thing. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's happening here. But I'd be surprised if it isn't, because all schools want a lovely G and T. So let's uh, mm. so let's just make it. But then it's how do we measure what makes a gifted and talented yeah. kid? Are we measuring the twenty first century skills? Because I've come across students before who are in an extension program, but they can't think. They have no resilience. Now, as an employer, I don't want a kid like that. So what they they can recite algorithms and do Pythagoras' theorem if they're told what to do. I want to see what these kids can do. And I take China as an example. China now, yes, their kids come in here and they get you no know, with great re, you know, recollection or recall, I should say, of skills and basics, but they lack the creativity. Mm. There's now a huge drive in those countries, like China, to get kids to be more application, reasoning, thoughtfulness. And that's despite their top-ranking in uh, OECD data. Because they don't always... Employers don't just want that. Mm. We're moving away. We're not saying... I don't want people to think, oh, I've heard, you know, they're saying that content's not important. Of course it's important. But... It's what we do with the content now. 21st century is, we'll assume every kid has memorised procedures and formulas and everything. So let's take that for granted. What, I, as an employer, I want to know what your kid can do with that knowledge. If they can't cope with defending it, justifying it, show me ways, I don't want them. I need my employees to be adaptable, to be resilient, to be positive, to be have transferable skills. Even today, I mean looking at some of the stats on degrees. There was one about two years ago where it's something like physics degrees. A number, only about 15% of physics degree students are in a job where physics is their main focus. Now that's not saying 85% are unemployed. It's the skills of their minds, the process skills, other jobs want them. Mm. There are a lot of them employed in media because their way they can analyse, look for algorithms and mm. data and analyse things as well. Their mind, so it's this whole thing. A lot of the legal degrees, they're not in law, but they're employed in the media for their ability to write and persuade and all of that. So you can see these degrees that kids do, they're multifaceted they're, and they're looking at the skills. Once you've got the basic content, we need to say to our kids, let's promote these skills, make your kid feel good. I've got two kids myself, you know, chalk chalk and cheese. But the one who's not necessarily good at academically, they've got better skills in design, critical thinking, communication. They're good at helping others. So I said, there's plenty of jobs for that. Why should I have you know, a teenager who feels a failure with the school system because they're getting C's and D's on just standardised tests? Where they in, potentially, where in, in yeah. fact, anyone who gets a job working with people 
Absolutely. Has more likely, has more opportunity in the next 10, 20 years than any other person. I think so. I think so. But, but as a dad, it's hard because they're surrounded by a system that only values ABC, that only values do this test, make this 10 slide PowerPoint for a, no, for a grade on a piece of paper. We'll give you eight weeks of the term where you do nothing. And then you'll suddenly get two weeks where you're doing six different homeworks, six assignments to get a grade on a piece of paper, turn the page, let's start again and repeat, you know, and it's like, oh, no, something's not right there. Some kids survive that, but too many kids don't. Yeah. And that's the, just because it worked for you or just because it didn't damage you doesn't mean that we should keep going. That's, that's always been my argument about education is that. Why would we persist in doing something that doesn't work for everybody? Isn't it true? I mean, because you think about it, you go through the motions. I mean, all kids now forced into university. It seems you know, it's you no. Know, there's a lot of re- revenue at stake here. We're just this. It's almost like a rite of passage now. You know, 45, 40, 45 percent kids go straight to university. But mm. how many actually know what they want to do? <sighs> they. That, I mean, I was chatting to some grade tens about three or four weeks ago, and it was quite disheartening to see how much stress. Not all of them. Some of them are already going through. Mm. They're talking about anxiety to go to university and it's year 10 term one Mm. pressure from let's just say other elements of their life or people and this is sad i mean and we know that these kids will have probably different careers why not have a gap year why not have a time to think there's going to be jobs there i mean or for those kids who aren't academic I think some countries have some really good avenues. I mean, they're starting to get better at this now. Universities are now offering like diplomas and things more, which I think is great because kids need to see that you might not know. Just because you don't go to university does not mean you'll never be successful. And yeah. I think, you know, I did my degree. I went through the motions of my degree, in you no know, an honours degree in business. Am I using that today? Probably not, you know. It's, I've got some elements. Again, yeah. I've not got the content knowledge, but the skills and the processes I've learned in that degree to analyse, to be critical thinking, my marketing skills of stuff. I'm using the actual 21st century skills of that. But at the same time, I need the basics. Yeah. That's it. Because the opposite side of these play people who say, oh, let's just focus on the soft skills. I said, yeah, but the soft skills without the hard facts are useless. And I've come across some, you know, ideas where it's been quite wishy-washy where kids are doing critical creative thinking on a project in year eight and the rigor is year four i said that's rubbish you know that that's not going to help the kid oh yeah but they like it of course they like it you show me a teenage kid who can do some stuff you know there's billions to be made on that and so as i said it's 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 getting that balance right which is hard because a lot of the time i don't think there's enough support for our teachers to get that balance right it's one thing or the other Suddenly, it's all 21st century skills and yeah. their rigor. But it's it. 21st century skills, but here's your A to E data that, that we're measuring everything by. Yeah. And, and we're trying to measure things that can't be measured in the same way, the way we've always measured it. I think so, because that whole thing about what we value, what we measure, mm. then our, what's great to be in education now is there's a big movement around, you know, to again to help kids identify other elements but we've got to make teachers students principals aware of this but they can't do it before the system and the sad news is the tension between research and practice is really about research will talk about the 21st century what's right 
but the system every system in the world mm. you know just wants it's got to be meant it's got to be easily measurable so let's just measure the content let's give a to e's out hand them out and so if that's our you know if that's what we're judged by then assessment often gravitates yeah to that and then, but then practice is informed by it as well because often research is based on best practice from a research point of view is often based on what got the best standardized test result or what got the best a to e right. data result not what uh, is going to achieve the best outcomes for the students as a uh, as a well-adjusted citizen you know of the world so then we adopt practices that just enforce standardized test results and a to e data rather than what really is best practice so it's, yeah, like, it's, it's like a vicious cycle that's about 10 years ago and it's still true i mean i think again i'll say that joe bolo from the states she said that you know with you no know, with math mathematics we know what works with maths but it's still not happening in, in the classrooms because <coughs> it will take too long. It'll take more than an election cycle mm. you know, to make it work. Mm. And it's, it means slightly changing what we measure and what we do and how we help each other, which uh, sadly is a long-term plan. Mm. And we live in a world where it's just short-termism. But as a parent, giving, making parents aware of the long-term, you know, goals or the line of sight around 21st century skills I think is a useful thing for them to know and it makes them feel I think it makes some parents feel a bit more hopeful as well if you've got great kids that are doing this then focusing on this will only only strengthen that and if your kid seems to be struggling at school then looking at these sorts of other ways of measuring success is might be a way in might make them I've certainly been using this with one of my kids and it's certainly giving them that hope that, yeah, you might not be good yet, but don't let it get you down. Because having a career, if you're skilled at working with people, I can tell you now <laughs> that there's going to be jobs, you know, plenty of jobs in that area if you're good, or, you know, that sort of thing. And as long as you can communicate and be good with the basics, don't get upset that you can't do trigonometry. You know, you might not need that. <laughs> you know, you might not need that. Even yesterday, I was just trying to read some stuff online around research articles from unis about looking at that. And I think one of them has talked about, yeah, around 55% of students will probably need something like calculus or in, in a form in their job. But 45% won't. So when you see all year 10s doing it, you know, it does raise that question. They're, when they say, why are we doing this? Well, you know, half of them won't ever need it. But you can say to them, look think of it not so much as the content think of it as just the process of you know using applying problem solving it's like poetry yes you're probably not going to do poetry <laughs> but it's the process of creating one yeah. looking at words using everything the way you can use your, your your grammar your punctuation your way with words your audience it's a nice avenue to show me what you can what what you can create that's a good analogy though as well because often you don't know what aspects of art you really appreciate until you get exposed to really good art you know how many primary school kids hate poetry yeah until they discover a really good poet and then go ah oh. or realize that bob dylan is poetry you know like in until you really connect with something in the art world that that, that is of super high quality you don't really understand that you that you can appreciate it mathematics is kind of the same way like okay maybe calculus is never something that you're going to use but it doesn't mean you can't appreciate the process of calculus and true 
yeah. and how you get to uh, solving a problem through it. And it comes back to what we said before around that, because, for example, if you if you just like learnt to write a certain, you know, um, persuasive text in year five, you could churn that out again in year seven and even in year nine and still probably pass. Whereas with something like maths or science, you've got to do, if you learn something with like um, shape, but then the test is on trigonometry or the test is on measurement, you can't. Yeah. And that's the difference, you know. Yeah. There is maths and science tend to have specific content, specific skills you have to have as you go up, which for a lot of, you know, and in other subjects, it's not so, you know, it's not so um, obvious as that. Mm. You know, I'm not saying there's, there's not enough rigour in others, of course there is, but there's certain specific things you need to be successful in maths in year nine. You can't just use your adding, subtracting, multiplying. You need to have index laws. You need to have Pythagoras' theorem, volume of 3D shapes, linear equations, no, the gra graphs. There's a whole host of things. So for a lot of kids, it's, oh my God, there's so much n new stuff to do. Why can't I just write better using the basic tools? So I think with maths... The basic tools keep changing. <laughs> yeah. There's always a line through, but they keep. No, there's definitely a bit more, and that's why maths can for kids be slightly more, you know, an austere way of looking at disciplines they've got to achieve, they've got to master all the time. But generally, you know, if we can build in these connections through these 21st century skills, I think experience that's one kids over. Or got more chance of making them remember and retain information, which mm. I think is a big thing for a teacher and a parent is the retention rates. A lot, lot of kids forget maths because, quite disconcertingly, they um, say that we can because I'll just get taught. No, I'll just get taught it again, yeah. and so they've learned not to value long-term memory in maths. They just short-term in it goes, get to the test, forget it again. And I'm not saying that's, you know, you can't advocate that, but that that's what's happening, and it's the way it's done. A term of this, teach, test, forget, bang, next we get off we go again. So as a parent, we're trying to look work with schools, like we said before, to try and keep strands of concepts going. So that's why, as a parent, it might be, you might get some stuff to do with your kid at home. That's not what they're doing at the moment, but it's safeguarding against them forgetting. Because if a kid forgets, they get stressed. And we don't want that happening with a year two kid or a year ten kid. That's the end of part one. Part two will be released later this week. Remember to hit us up on social media. Dadregime at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter. Where else are we? Instagram. Catch you next time. See ya.